Now, if you're in any kind of a good court case, you're going to bring in the forensic evidence. And so Paul is now going to move to forensic evidences to prove uh, the way of salvation and justification and to prove that we are now legal heirs to the Lord God through Jesus Christ. And so any forensic person is going to bring forth the charts and he's going to show you the DNA evidence and he's going to show you the history and genealogy of a people. And so that's where we pick up with Paul. And so what I'm going to do tonight is I'm going to give you Paul's arguments, maybe not necessarily verse by verse or word by word. We'll get there. But thought by thought of how Paul is presenting this. So Paul is going to go back to his case to say that sin is the problem that has infected mankind. Uh, Romans 5 verse 12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all have sinned. And that's the issue. Everyone's a sinner. We need a Savior so that we will not die to the wages of our sin. And so Paul begins with that, and he begins to discuss our covenant head. He goes back all the way to the beginning, and he says this, that Death entered the human race through our covenant head. Now, what is a covenant head? Uh, Jews understood this language. Paul understood it. And it's the seminal point of view theologically. Uh, We get the idea from the seminal means semen, the concept of who your father was and your father and your father and your father. You take it all the way back. And who's our father? Adam. God made Adam. And God made Adam the covenant head of of the human race and the covenant head of planet earth. So here we see God is in fellowship with Adam. And he made Adam for the physical universe to be his representative over all that he had made. Psalm 8 declares that. What is the Son of Man? That thou hast made him a little lower than the angels, right? And has given him all authority on the planet, all animals, everything. So Adam's our covenant head. So the relationship that Adam has with God is the relationship that you and I will have because all of us were in Adam. We were in the garden. We were in Him. It's just that we were so many generations further along the road, weren't we? But something happened with the relationship between the covenant head and God. And it says in Hosea 6-7, But like Adam, they, he's speaking to Israel, they transgressed the covenant. There they dealt faithlessly with me. And what he's saying in Hosea, Hosea is speaking about Israel's relationship with God the Father, but he's hearkening all the way back to Adam's situation in the garden. What did Adam do? Adam broke covenant with Father God. There was a covenant that God had with Adam and Eve in the garden. That covenant was very simple. It was not to eat of the knowledge of the the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, but you could have everything. And the, the covenant was, obey me. But Adam and Eve were faithless, just like Paul's premise was in the beginning, that it's been faith from beginning to end, from faith to faith, first to last. It's always been faith. A relationship with God has always been by faith. And Adam and Eve broke faith with God. And that's why Paul says, therefore, sin came into the world through the one man. He broke relationship. Separation from the God of life brought death. 
Now Paul's taken this all the way back so he can, he can establish this on a foundation that this is the problem. Adam broke covenant with God. And since Adam broke covenant with God, anyone in Adam is born in broken covenant with God. Adam and Eve died on the day they ate that fruit. What does it mean to die from God? It means to be separated from your source of life. He is the source of eternal life. They had physical life, but that physical life was going to come to an end. And so they were separated from God. And our covenant head now was in broken covenant with God. And uh, how many of you know this? That the wages of sin is therefore what? Death. And so that's Paul's first statement. Death entered in because sin was committed by the first man. He was faithless with God, therefore he fell into sin. Sin brought death to the human race. Now, someone would object. Oh, well then if there's no law, if there was no law before for Adam, then there's no sin because the law accounts for sin. And, and Paul says, wait a minute, Pharisee, wait a minute. No, let me prove something to you. Sin has always brought death, even if there is no law, because the wages of sin is death. But what if there's no law? Then there's no sin. And then Paul goes into this argument, and he says this. Well, let me ask you something, can I? Did death reign from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam? who was a type of the one who was to come. What's he trying to prove here by this argument? Did death reign between Adam and Moses? Why has he picked Moses? Moses is the one who brought the law. The law is the one that condemns and calls what sin is. So some are saying, well, where there is no law, then there's no sin. And Paul uses this argument. He said, let me ask you one question. Did the people die who were born between Adam and and Moses. Conclusion, people? If everybody died from Adam to Moses, then what can we conclude? They were all what? Sinners. Because the wages of sin is death. Apart from the law, this operates. So even though the law identified specifically what sin was, we were all born in broken covenant with God. So this isn't an issue of the law. This is an issue of our covenant head being out of fellowship with God. And anybody who's in Adam then is out of fellowship with God and born in sin. Jew or Gentile. That's what he's he's saying. Yeah. Now he says something very, very important in the scripture. He says, Adam, in the last part of verse 14, was a type of or a pattern, depending on your translation. He was a type of the one to come. And so what we're going to see is Paul is going to get his forensic evidence out here and he's going to put a chart up and say, here's the pattern, here's the type. From the one to the many. From the covenant head to the many. Let me show you. Here's his point. Here's God. And uh, there's Adam. He's in broken relationship. Anyone born through Adam is going to be in what condition with God? Broken relationship, broken covenant. 
So anyone born of Adam is in broken relationship with God. They are born in their trespasses and sin. They're dead in trespasses and sin. Born in iniquity, right? All right, now who would that include? What people groups would that include? Let's see. Um, Oh, yeah, everyone. Everyone, every human being. That's despite the law. That's just a matter of fact that anyone in Adam is in sin and is under condemnation. That's why John 3, 17 is a vital verse. We all quote John 3, 16. For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. And then verse 17 says that if you don't believe Him, you are condemned already. The condemnation took place in the garden for the entire human race. And so here's the pattern. Are you ready? One to all. The one to all. And so he goes on and he points this out. He says, then, what if one came who's in right relationship with God? That is Jesus, the last Adam. Jesus, the last Adam, is in right relationship with the Father. So anyone who is in Jesus becomes right with the Father. That's the pattern from the one to the many, from one to all, from one to all. Let me read it to you. He says this, But the free gift is not like the trespass or the sin. For if many died through one man's trespass, that's Adam, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of the one man's sin. For the judgment following one sin or trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. If because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Let me explain that to you. What he's saying is, here's the pattern. You have Adam over here, and the pattern is, whatever relationship Adam had to God, everyone in Adam has that same relationship. Adam's in broken covenant with God, in sin, so is anyone born in Adam. Jesus, on this side, is in right relationship with the Father, and anyone who is born in Jesus is righteous with the Father. That's his argument. Now, here's the question. How do I get out of Adam and into Jesus? We want to make that transition, huh? Don't we? Well, God has made it. But I have to ask you a question. Did Jesus... Wait a minute. If everyone's in Adam, is a sinner, didn't Jesus come through the human race Didn't the Word of God become flesh and dwell among us? Didn't He become a man? Therefore, isn't He tainted in Adam with sin? You look at Luke's lineage, it takes you right back to David, to Abraham, and unto Adam. Jesus came through Adam. So Jesus is not pure. He's tainted with the same fallen blood as Adam, isn't He? No, He's not. Good answer. Why was he not tainted with Adam's sin? Because he 
was not born of the seed of man. He was born from the seed of God, who impregnated, God put his seed into the woman. So Jesus is fully man, born of a woman, but not of the seed of Adam. If Jesus was born of the seed of Adam, the curse of Adam would have been upon Jesus as well. But because Jesus was born of a virgin, he bypassed the curse upon the human race and upon Adam, and his blood now is pure. Because the blood of a child inside the womb of a mother never mingles with the blood of the mother. You can have a child that's a different blood type than the mother. And so the blood is clean and pure and spotless, not tainted by the curse of Adam. His blood was pure. His blood is therefore not under the curse of death, and his blood is in fact eternal. And so Christ living a sinless life, carrying a sinless blood, could offer the perfect sacrifice. Now, one to the all. And that's what I read to you, is that he is of that pattern. So, he goes on to say this. If you're in Adam, then death reigns. If because of the one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive the abundant provision of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through Jesus Christ? So, there is a rule of authority. That's what to reign means. It means that which has authority to reign. In Adam, what is the main thing that reigns over the entire human race? Death. Because of sin. And so death rules the day for the human race. This is a giant globe of a burial ground. But Christ came. And now it says that through the gift of Christ, even though through our many sins, He brought a gift to us. And through that gift, we reign in life. While the rest of the world is under the oppressive hand of the ruler of death, we are reigning in life through a right relationship with God. We have life. That is awesome. Now, here's a very, very important point that Paul makes in this court case. He says this, that we have been given, through the abundance of grace, the free gift of righteousness. Free gift. It's not earned. Your righteousness with God, remember, righteousness is a right relationship with God. Your right relationship with God is not earned by you. You can't earn it, you can't embellish it, you can't improve on what was given to you through the sacrifice of Jesus. It's fully based on Christ's righteousness and Christ's presentation at the cross. So, what we have to grasp, and we do not grasp this well enough, it's going to take a lifetime, I'm praying that God will break into our hearts what this gift of righteousness means. He who knew no sin became sin for us so that we might become what? The righteousness of God. And that righteousness, as we saw last week, was imputed or credited into your account. 
as it was accredited to Abraham. It was imputed unto him. So Christ's righteousness. Understand this. Just as Adam's sin was imputed into the entire human race, and just as Adam's sin was imputed or put upon Jesus as he hung on that cross, the righteousness of Jesus was imputed or credited to you. That's awesome. That's amazing. So what does that mean? It is a gift of righteousness. How many of you were here uh, born? Is anybody here alive? Anybody here alive? Okay. You were all born. You're, you were children at one time. The minute you came out of that, actually it was before then while you were a babe in that womb, but the minute you came out and they smacked you and you went, Wah! the reason you were crying is because you inherited sin right then and there. And you were cursed to death right then and there. You were born under a curse. You didn't ask for it, did you? You didn't say, could I choose? No, you were born in sin automatically as a child of Adam. The minute you are born from above, the minute you are born in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are immediately born right with God. Some people have a hard time with it. They have to figure out, well, I've got to stop doing this, and I've got to stop doing that, and maybe God will accept me if I, if I stop smoking or stop drinking or I stop doing this or I stop behaving that way. I've got to clean my act up before God will receive you. You can't clean yourself up worth nothing. You've got no ability to clean yourself up. This is a gift of rightness. There is none righteous, no, not one. Our righteousness is as filthy rags. There's nothing that you and I can do to make ourselves presentable to a holy God. Absolutely nothing. The only thing you and I can do is receive, through the grace of God, by faith, the gift of rightness with Him. Now, will you receive it? We have so many Christians who will not walk in a right relationship with God because they don't feel they deserve it because they've done too many bad things. They're just horrible people and they can't get themselves together past their own uh, faultedness to get right with God. Christ made you right with Him. God takes you in the mess that you are. He knows completely what mess He's got with you and I. It's a gift of rightness. And in that, this is the beauty of God, in the gift of that rightness, He takes us with all our sin, with all our failure, and He embraces us unto Himself. And through being right in Him, He begins to pour in His Holy Spirit, and that holiness will change our identity and change who we are. Amen? That's the gift of righteousness. We are now in right relationship with the Father and all those who are in Christ Jesus have the relationship Jesus has with the Father. Ooh, that is a good relationship. Amen and amen. That is our relationship with the Father. Walk in it. Know that it is yours. He goes on to say this. He goes on to explain what the law did. Therefore, as one trespass led to the condemnation for all men, verse 18, so one act of righteousness leads to the justification and life for all men. Do you see the pattern? Through Adam, the one sin, all condemned. Through the one righteous act of Jesus, unto all who will come to him is righteousness given. That's beautiful. He goes on to say this, 
For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Do you get this? This is pretty simple. Do you get it? All right? So it's the difference between being in Adam or in Jesus. There's the whole thing. And it's the same action from the one act of Adam or the one act of Jesus. One in disobedience, one in obedience. All those born of Him will receive the reward of Him. Now the law came, verse 20, Now the law came in to increase the trespass. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. What does he mean by that? For that, so that in sin, as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. What he means is this. We know that from Adam to Moses, there was sin because everybody died. But there was no remedy for that. They, only faith was the remedy. And so Noah built an ark in faith, and it secured him and rescued him. Abraham believed God by faith, and it secured a covenant with him. Isaac followed by faith and secured a covenant right relationship with God. Jacob, that dirty rat, even though he messed up, he came to faith in God and in faith made right relationship. Then came Moses, and God gave Moses, because of an entire nation of people, the law. And what did the law do? The law identified sin and transgression to a very specific level to where no one could live up to it. Even just the Ten Commandments, let alone the 600 laws of, of the Mosaic Covenant, but even the Ten Commandments. And what it did is it highlighted to every human being that we're all sinners, but where, what it did is it showed how much sin abounds. But where sin abounds, grace much more abounds. And so God, Paul tells us that the law was nailed, that law code written against us in Colossians, he says, was nailed to the cross. Can I ask you something? What was actually nailed to the cross? Jesus Christ, Jesus the Lord. He is the perfection of the law. He is the Word of God. He is the righteousness of God. He's the one who was nailed to the cross. All of He would judge us for all our unrighteousness, but He nailed the law. He didn't come to destroy the law. He fulfilled it because He fulfilled it to perfection. He was nailed to the cross. The cross identified all the sin. And here the righteous judge condemned all sin. He didn't excuse it. He didn't pardon it. His perfect righteous judgment was executed on the cross. And therefore, His love and His justice were met in that one act. And it cleared us. Oh, so you should just keep on sinning then. Why don't we sin so that grace would just keep on coming? Wouldn't that be the the result? Paul says... God forbid, absolutely, by no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Now we're in chapter 6. 
So what Paul does through his forensic evidence is he shows that the entire human race, in his opening statement, he said there's none righteous. He now shows through evidence from Adam to Moses and the law that all were sinners, all condemned by the law, but the pattern established from Adam and all those in Adam is that they're sinners. He got that figured out. But he then introduced Jesus. And he says in the same pattern, Jesus' faithful, righteous act on the cross fulfilled the law, the judgment of God, paid the price, and anyone born in Jesus is now in righteous relationship with God. And so here that Judaizer, the the Jews are going, oh yeah, but so we should just keep on sinning then. So that your grace, God could keep forgiving so we could honor God. And he's saying, you don't get it. You don't get it at all. He said, something has to happen to get you out of Adam and put you in Christ. Well, it's just believing. It's just faith. It's just a philosophy. It's just a way of thinking. No, it's not. Remember the pattern? The key question my friends, is this. How do I get out of Adam and into Christ? How do I stop being this human being and get into Jesus? There's only one way. You have to die. But that creates a very big problem for you and I. Do you know why? Because if I die in my sins, what happens? I'm going to hell. So the only way for me to leave this body and get out of my inheritance in Adam is to die. But if I die, I'm going to spend eternity in hell. I've got a real problem here. I can't get out of Adam unless I die. But if I die, I'll die eternally. There's got to be a remedy for me. And there is the substitution where Jesus went to the cross. And so as Jesus became a man through the virgin birth, He became the covenant head for a new race of people. A new group of people. Those who are born of God, no longer born of Adam. And just as Jesus was born from God, He through the cross is offering a way of death and a way of life to leave Adam and go into Christ. Are you with me? And so, what God did was Jesus represented as the last Adam, as the covenant head of a new race of people, representing mankind. If He was not a man, He couldn't represent us. If He wasn't God, He couldn't represent Him. The perfect mediator, the God-man, Fully God, fully man, Jesus went to the cross as the pure, holy sacrifice, His blood spotless, so that all the sins from Adam to the entire human race were put on Christ Jesus. So that that price was paid. Now, in order to leave Adam and go into Christ, you must go on that cross with Him. How? By faith. By faith. He is the ark 
of safety that Noah built. He is the promised seed of Abraham that God promised to Abraham. He is the king of kings that would rule on David's throne for eternity. He is the lamb that everyone placed their hands and transferred their sins to at every sacrifice. Anything in the Old Testament that showed redemption showed the plan of Jesus. And so it is. There is a way to die and yet live. And that is faith in Jesus Christ. And so, as we go and we come to the cross by faith to die with Him, we are then buried with Him. Baptism represents that, that we are put to death with Him. So everything in Adam that's in you is put to death, so that when you come out of the waters, you rise to life in newness of life, Just as Jesus was resurrected to a new life, you are now resurrected in a new life. Therefore, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. A new creation. You become a whole new person. And so therefore, each one of you who put faith in the cross of Jesus Christ, each one of you who died with Jesus on that cross, who was buried with Him and rose in a new identity. You were birthed from God's own Spirit by faith. Your sins were buried in the tomb. You rose from the dead and the Spirit of God birthed you in Christ Jesus. You have now been taken out of Adam and now born in Jesus. Let me read it to you so that you understand it. Are we to continue to sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? We were buried Therefore, with him, by baptism, into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. You must be identified with the death of Jesus. You cannot get saved unless you identify with the death of Jesus. The only way to identify the death of Jesus is to know that you are a sinner deserving of death. There are people who are trying to get people saved and introduce Christianity to people and get people, quote, saved without knowing or identifying that they are sinners and that they need to come to repentance and that they need to be born from God and not just an idea. And so, we must identify with the death of Jesus Christ. Everyone here, your sin has condemned you to hell. But, as you look to the One, as Jesus said to Nicodemus, if I be raised up just like the serpent in the wilderness, and if you would look to Me, I will draw all men unto Me, and you will be saved. And so in that act of faith, of what Christ did on the cross, we look to Him, and we are born in Jesus. He goes on to say this. For if we've been united with Him in death like His, 
we shall certainly be united with Him in a resurrection like His. We know that our old self, other translations, our old man, was crucified with Him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. Come on now, we got to get into this. This isn't just salvation, meaning, oh, I'm not going to go to hell someday when I die. This means I'm in Christ Jesus. And if I'm in Christ Jesus right now, I have the same authority that Jesus does over sin and death. I have the same inheritance that Jesus walks in. It's mine now. Are you in Jesus? All right. So, let me ask you this very important question. If this act of faith takes you out of Adam and puts you into Christ through his death, burial, and resurrection, you are now given new life, born from above, born again. You are in Christ. Can a Christian be in Adam and in Jesus? No. No. You cannot be in Adam and in Jesus. He specifically says that the old man was put to death. Do we understand that? What is the old man? Well, who's, you know, you ever hear that term, my old man? You know who our old man was? Adam. But your old man is who you are identified in. We were all identified in Adam. But my old man, the old man, that Adam nature, that Adam covenant head has been put to death. It was crucified at the cross. So the old nature that I had in me, the old sin nature that was in me has been put to death. Somebody say amen over that. Therefore, I have right relationship with Father. Father decreed justification over me. And I am in Christ. If I am in Christ, then the relationship Jesus has with the Father is the relationship I have with the Father. And therefore, everything that Jesus has in relation to the Father is mine as well. It's my covenant right. It's my inherited right. And I am righteous with God. Let me go on. He says this, We know that our old man was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. That body of sin, that body of sin that we live in, that sin nature is gone and will be brought to naught, so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Oh, did you get it? I don't know how many of you have ever been to a funeral. I don't know how many of you have walked in front of a casket. But that body laying in that casket is no longer sinning or able to sin. That body cannot sin. That person can't sin. They're absolutely dead to the power of sin. If you've come to Jesus Christ and you have, by faith, died with Him on that cross then our old nature is put to death and we should not be sinning. We'll get into the details of that next week. But that is where we should be, brothers and sisters. Dead to sin. Dead to sin. I'll give you a little hint. The problem is we are made right with God and dead to sin. The only problem is, is we're still in the old container. We'll get into the flesh later. 
Now, he said this, Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with Him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. So is Jesus going to die again? Will Jesus ever die again? No, His body did die, didn't it? And His body resurrected with a new form, an eternal body. It cannot die. He defeated death. So if that happened to Him, it will happen to us. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over Him. For the death He died, He died to sin once for all of us. He doesn't need to die every Sunday at some kind of a ceremony at somebody's church. He doesn't need to die over and over again. He died once. He died once. And He died for all. It is finished. For the death He died, He died to sin once for all. But the life He lives, He lives to God. You coming to Jesus will die once to Him. And after that, you live to God. You live to Him. Eternally, you'll shed this body and get a new one. But you who die will not die, but live forever. For the death He died, He died to sin once for all. But the life He lives, He lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Jesus Christ. I'm going to read that again. Because we are living so short so below the ability we have. It is an ability you and I have. Listen. You must consider, King James says, reckon this. The word here is impute. It's the same word that means the transfer of credit. Credited to you is the fact that you are dead to sin. And alive to God in Jesus Christ. You are dead to sin and alive to Christ. I don't live for sin anymore. That's why when the, when the argument came up, why don't we just keep on sinning then if we've got all this grace? Some Christians live like that. They think that's what grace is. Grace is a get out of jail free card. Grace is a sloppy love. Once I got saved, man, I can do whatever I want. No, I slip up now and then. You don't understand who you are. You don't understand that the righteousness given unto you gives you a whole new nature. I gotta ask myself, if there's someone who wants to get away with sin, I think they're still in Adam. I'm in Jesus. My nature is to please the Father at all times. My nature is to honor Him and live unto my nature. To do something different is contrary to my being. I have been given power over sin. I am to be dead to sin just as Jesus is. Oh, but pastor this. Oh, but this. Oh, but this. And oh, but that. We have to live in the power that has been given to us. The power of the resurrection. Oh, let me ask you this. It's a power over what? The power of the resurrection was a power over what? Death. Raised from the dead. And if the wages of sin is death, but we have power of death, we have power over sin. St. Augustine put it this way. I'm not going to read the Latin, but he said it this way. He said, Adam had the ability to sin. 
didn't he? Adam had potential to sin. Adam had a free will to choose to obey and stay in covenant with Father or to freely do what he wanted. He was able to sin. Adam was able to sin. And you know what Adam did? Sin. And he brought death into the world. Now, anyone who's born in Adam, in broken covenant as Adam was, we were all born unable not to sin. We could try not to sin, but we all sin routinely, regularly. But coming into Christ Jesus, being taken out of Adam and put in Jesus, we have now been given power in which we are able not to sin. A fallen person can't do that. Listen, we are selling the gospel so short to a dying world out there. We're, we're, we're not telling them. Many people have social programs. We're giving them social programs. We're giving them programs to redirect their behaviors. But you know what? Unless someone is born again, they have no power over sin. And they will continue to sin. The worst thing the church can do is to tell someone they are saved when they're not. It's absolutely the worst thing we can do. So we have got to disciple people and we've got to train them so carefully. Many times we have them repeat a sinner's prayer, but if they don't believe it, they don't trust it. If they don't put faith in God, they just say it for some other reason. It doesn't mean they're saved. It's not a magic incantation. We don't know the heart of these people. You know, in the early church, they wouldn't let someone into the church or take communion for up to a year till they were fully convicted that this person is born from above. Because the last thing they wanted to do was give someone a false witness of their salvation. We must know whether we're saved or not. And so Paul says, take the test. And see, do you depend on Christ above all things? Is Christ the sole answer for your salvation? Do you recognize that there's nothing good within you that's in your flesh? Do you recognize that you can do nothing to earn God's love that is completely on Christ? Do you wholly lean on Christ's righteousness and His name? It's Christ and Christ alone. And that without Him we're going to hell. But what Paul is saying here is something so spectacular, so unbelievable. What he's saying is if we are in Christ Jesus and now dead to Adam and our old man is put to death, I don't have to sin. I have power over sin. If eternal life now dwells in me, the power of that life and the power of that relationship is enough to keep me from sinning. So why do we keep sinning? We'll get into that next week. I just have to go with Paul where we're at here and deal with our arguments, all right? Oh, well then, if the law, if the law's gone, why don't we just go ahead and keep on sinning then? Because we don't have to worry about a law, we don't have to worry about sin, and, and sloppy grace means, you know, let's just keep on sinning. He says, no. Paul goes on. Verse 12, he says, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies to make you obey their passions. 
Do not present your members to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments of righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you're not under the law, but under the grace of God. Paul is saying something extremely dramatic Let me put it to you straight. He says this. Stop it. Stop sinning. Stop it. Stop sinning. He has confidence in the power that dwells within him. This power to overcome sin. He says, Therefore, don't let sin reign in your mortal body. This is a matter of authority and power. That's what reign is. Don't let sin reign. What's supposed to reign in our bodies and in our minds? Righteousness. God. The Holy Spirit. Who is reigning in your life? You? Look at, if we reign and Jesus has added to our life, we're not, that, that's not the gospel. We can't let sin reign in our lives. And he he goes on very specifically and he says this, Don't let sin reign in your mortal bodies to make you obey its passions. See, it's this body, it's this flesh. He said, Do not present your members to sin as instruments of unrighteousness. What's he mean by members? He means your hands, your feet, your eyes, your ears, your brain, anything within your being that connects you to planet earth, whatever was in you that has passions and entices you, your drives, your lusts, your desires. He says, don't let any of those join together. Don't let them drive you as instruments of unrighteousness. Now, it's an interesting word, instruments. In the Greek, the word for instruments is weapons. Don't use your body as a weapon of unrighteousness. He goes on. Especially if you are born of Christ and you are in Christ, how could we let our bodies be used for sin? What an offense to God who's in us. I don't grasp that. I'll admit it to you. I don't grasp that enough. I am not broken in my own heart enough over my own sin and how it offends and how it hurts and how it, it, it grieves God's holiness in me. I am not fully convinced enough that I am continually grieving Him over my actions and thoughts and desires. But yet I lend myself to such grievous things against the one who has given me all things and who commits himself to me and to remain in me and to train me. He said, don't present your members to sin as instruments of unrighteousness. Present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members as instruments or weapons for righteousness. Don't let sin have dominion over you since we are not under the law but under grace. And again, what then? Huh? The, uh, the uh, prosecution, uh, uh, we should just keep on sinning since we're not under the law. And there are Christians who propose that. 
I won't get into all the aspects. There are many Christians who say, yes, I believe in Jesus, but they act as their bodies are instruments of unrighteousness. This doesn't line up. And we've got to ask ourselves this. And Paul says, no, again, you're wrong. You're getting this wrong. The law is gone, but it's now written on your hearts. The law is is in your heart by the Holy Spirit. Now, it's not a matter of a choice of obedience. Now, it is the nature of your being to obey. As you breathe, as you talk, as you live, so is your righteousness a part of you. He goes on and he says this, Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one you obey, either to sin, which leads to death, or or to obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, you've become slaves to righteousness. Now listen, the words for slave is doulos. The word for slave, you know what it means? Slave. It means nothing less. It means you have no rights. We privileged Americans... Nobody's our boss. We're not slaves to anyone. Then you're not a Christian. If you want to be a Christian, you have to become a slave to righteousness. But do you understand what being a slave to righteousness is? You know, slavery's not that bad when you serve a good, good master who provides you with everything you need. Do you understand what a slave to righteousness is? Again, righteousness is a right relationship. I am going to be a slave to a right relationship with God. I am going to be a slave to the love of God. I am going to serve my Master who gives me all things through Jesus Christ. I am going to be a slave to the right relationship that you can't pull me away. I'm going to stay in my slavery to a right relationship. For me to leave that place is to run into death and disaster. Does that make sense to you? And so I will be a slave to righteousness. And he says this, For I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness leading to sanctification. When you were slaves to sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at the time from the things you're now ashamed of? The end of those things was death. But now that you've been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. You've been taken. There's only two realms of slavery. You are either going to serve your master sin or you're going to serve your master righteousness, Jesus. Who do you want to be a slave to? But we can't keep walking in the fence. Either you are born of God and you're in Jesus and you're dead to sin or you're not. 
Evaluate this situation, brothers and sisters, please. Let me explain to you this at the end now. Adam's sin was put on all mankind as all were in Adam. All of that sin was put on Jesus so that all of righteousness that Jesus had was put in us. And that power now dwells in us. That's what Paul is giving us in a forensic understanding of the Gospel. You now understand that salvation isn't simply a prayer. Salvation isn't just a psychological belief. Salvation is literally a death and dying from one covenant head into life as a new covenant head. And that covenant head gives you eternal life and you are now having all the power He has. Let me close with this illustration. Many years ago, there was a tanker that sank in a harbor in New York. And they tried to lift it out of the bottom of that harbor and they couldn't get it. One man said, let's get the tugboats with the cranes. And they they took the cranes and they sent divers down and they wrapped the cables around that submerged tanker and the tugboats, as best as they could, tried to pull and pull that tanker up out of the, the ground underneath that ocean floor and, and it couldn't and the tankers began to sink and the, tank, uh, the, the tugboats began to sink and began to take on water and the load was too great and it's muck and mire. And an old seaman saw what was going on and he came up and he said, I have an idea. They said, what is it? And he said, wait till evening. They waited and they waited till the tide went down. Then he said, now make those cables taut, as taut as you can. And they did. And they said, now what? Just wait. And they waited. And as the tide came in, the power of the ocean lifted those tugboats up Stronger than any human effort or motor that man could make or wench that man could make. But the power of the ocean lifted those tugs up. And the power of the ocean was what powered the tugboats. And they didn't do any of the work. The ocean lifted it up and raised that tanker up from off the floor of the ocean. This is our fight with sin. You and I cannot battle it. But the power of the resurrection is the power in our lives that will give us the ability to overcome sin. Amen.